0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I'm excited about this message. I believe it's going to bless some people today. Praise God. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag, burned it with fire, taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and they went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And this morning I wanna preach to you on this subject. When I drop the ball, what will I do? When I drop the ball, what will I do? Is there anybody in the house that's ever made a mistake? Feel like you dropped the ball. What happens next is the most important thing in that trial. What happens next is the most important thing in the trial after you've fumbled. God bless you. You may be seated. I want you to know that Ziglag was ravished. All the people, all the possessions, and the city were burned. 601 men failed that day. And I noticed here that David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Now let's let's walk through this today because I think there's some wonderful things we can learn in this illustration. They come and they see the smoke from the city. They fear the worst. And upon their arrival, they discover that all of their possessions are gone. And more importantly, all of their family members are gone because the city had been left unprotected while the men went out to fight. The sorrow was so great that everybody began to weep and fall on one another's shoulders and cry. They were united in their sorrow And the loss of all that they possessed. At first, when a bad thing happens in your life, you go through these phases. This is actually part of trauma training. So you're getting a little extra here today. People go through stages. The first one is shock. They're shocked that such a thing could happen. The second phase that they go through after they begin to work through the shock of it is is they go through hurt. They're hurt. It, It could be physical, it could be mental, it could be emotional, but they are devastated by this traumatic thing that has happened to them. They're hurt. But after they begin to work through that, the next thing that happens to them is they get angry. And they want to blame somebody. Somebody is responsible. Let me give you an example. And I hope I'm not hitting a nerve with anybody, but it's the thought that came to my mind. If you found out that your loved one was killed by a drunk driver on a Saturday night, you would go through this. You would go through the shock. Then you would go through the hurt. And then you would hate and be angry with the drunk driver. You understand what I'm saying? So this is a trauma thing that that these 601 men are going through. And so during the time of hurt, they hug. They weep together, they cry together. Oh, I feel so bad for your loss. And oh, I feel so bad for your loss. What a terrible thing has happened and boo-hoo-hoo and we all cry And, and it's all legitimate, it's all real. None of it's fake because we're all in the same boat. But after the weeping, watch what happens. In verse six it says, and David was greatly distressed. The people spake of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So now we've worked through the shock. Now we're working through the hurt. Now we're angry. And we're going to blame the leader, David. He's the king. He's the one that led us out into battle. But I want you to know something. I believe, this is my opinion, you might disagree with me, but I believe 601 men failed that day. Nobody thought to say, hey, we better leave a vanguard back here to protect our family. Nobody brought that up to David. David apparently missed it and nobody else caught it either. But now when we're angry and we have to blame somebody, we're going to blame him. It's his fault and we should kill him for this. Killing David will not bring them back. Killing David will not resurrect the city. Killing David will not restore all of their possessions. But they're so angry and they have to blame somebody that when hurting people are hurting, they hurt other people and David is going to be the one that they want to hurt. But I would say that what we read in the New Testament about a woman that would suggest that she should be stoned fits this situation as well. You 600 men that are calling out for David's life and you wanna stone him, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. None of you thought of it either. None of you suggested that there be a vanguard. You're every bit as guilty as he is. If you claim his victories under his leadership, then you must also claim losses under his leadership. If you're willing to take the glory and the spoil, then you have to take the hurt and the loss as well. We win together or we lose together, but we stay together. Are you hearing me? We win together, we lose together, but we stay together. This is a lot of pressure for David. Picture 600 men screaming that they want to stone you to death. They're all in your face. It's all your fault. What would you do? I think the first thing we'd think of is, woe is me. Why why me? I never asked to be the king. I didn't volunteer for this position. David was uniquely different though. And we can learn from David. David was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect king. But when David fumbled the ball, this is what I admire about David as I read about him. The thing I admire so much is that when he fumbles the ball, He admits it, he confesses it. He doesn't like Saul said, Samuel, go tell the people that I failed but that I'm still all right with God. No, David doesn't do that. When he fails, he confesses it, he admits his wrong. He repents to God first and then he confesses it to the people and does everything he can to make it right. When you and I fumble the ball, Will we be like David or will we be like Saul? All the people. The people wanted to spare the best of the flocks. All the people. No, it's on you, Saul. Why don't you just admit that you've made a mistake, that you dropped the ball? Why don't you just take your sword and kill the king right now and butcher all the animals? Because you wanted to be popular with people and you were rejected from being king. Listen, I'm gonna give you a saying that will help you in your walk with God. This is something that I've learned because all of us are under attack. The enemy attacks here first in hopes that he can get here and spread his evil, his fear, doubt, and worry, and anxiety throughout your life. And you better have an answer for his lies. Just like Jesus did in his temptations. Can I get an amen? Amen. It is written, ended every temptation. But here's, here's something that will help you. I need to be what God wants me to be before I try to be what people need me to be. I've given you a leadership principle that I learned because we can get confused and we can want to please people more than we want to please God. And if you've got 600 people, you've got 600 people pulling you in all kinds of different directions. You first need to be what God wants you to be before you attempt to be what people need you to be. And if you can't be both, then at least be pleasing to what God wants you to be. That's that's gonna take a little while to set in your spirit. But David wanted to be what God wanted him to be. So you know what he did? He said, time out, guys, before you start throwing the rocks, I just need a little time with God. Time out. So David withdraws and they continue with their plans and this is what he does. He sits down and he says, God, I'm gonna give myself a history lesson. I'm gonna take a panoramic view of my life. I was just a little shepherd boy singing songs and taking care of sheep when you called me out of my father's house. I remember how you used me to kill a bear and a lion and a giant. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? I I remember how you protected me from Saul when he would throw his spear at me. I remember the times that I've been in battle, led by you, you told us who to fight, and you protected us. I remember your excellent provision and protection on my family. You know what he's doing in all of this? He's encouraging himself. He's saying, God has been with me through all of these things. This is just one more event, but God has been faithful to me. He has brought me through all of these things constantly over and over. He was taking inventory of what God had done. The next time you're worried and you're afraid and you wonder if God's gonna come through, you need to give yourself a history lesson. Instead of being historical, hysterical, you need to be historical. Be historical. What has God done in your life? How many times has God brought you through? And why would you think if God, this is the thing that the Lord taught me, why would you think if God has not failed you in the past that he would fail you now or in the future? He's got a track record. He's a winner. And he's making you a winner too. So David encouraged himself in the Lord and said, you know what, God, I know you're gonna bring me through this. So tell me, The next thing he does after he encourages himself is, tell me what I should do next. Take a look at this. This is um, verse number eight. David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered and said, pursue, for you will overtake them and without fail, you will recover all. So when you're going through a great trial and the numbers are against you, get historical and then inquire of the Lord and say, now that I've fumbled the ball, what should I do next? And God said, get up, go after them, overtake them and take everything back that you lost. Wow, isn't that encouraging? That's encouraging. I want you to know, there may be some people here today who say, man, I'm hurting, I've lost some things. I, I feel real bad, I've dropped the ball. All right, all right, that's good, admit it. Confess it, forsake it, but get up and move on and take back what the enemy stole from you. Don't be bullied. I think it's time that the church starts doing some bullying. I think it's time that the church rises up and says, no more. That is enough. I know my Redeemer lives. I know that he's for me. I know that he loves me. And I know that he'll take care of me. Fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. So David is willing to get up. David was a mighty man, but he surrounded himself with mighty men as well. Let me give you an example of this. I'm gonna give you an everyday 21st century example. How many people saw the Packer game last week? Oh, I thought there were more of you than that, but. I did, I saw the Packer game last week and I saw the last drive of the game that was the best part, wasn't it? That was exciting. And this is what I saw. I saw Aaron Rodgers leading his team for what could be the go ahead and possibly the winning score of a game. And he's driving this team down the field and they have confidence in their leader. This will preach now. They have confidence in their leader, but he's running with the ball and somebody comes up from behind him that he does not see, and punches the ball, and he fumbles it. Now, there are more of the opposing team around the ball than there are of his team. But one of the men that is assigned to block for him and protect him also is following the play. And he sees the ball on the ground. And without hesitation, he jumps on the ball and recovers the fumble. If he does not recover that fumble, nobody here would be talking about a Packer victory. One man, following his leader, sees him drop the ball and falls on it and covers it. What are we in the church if we're not teammates? What are we, if, if we are willing to admit in the beginning of this message that we all fumble the ball, what are we to do and say, oh, Aaron, you dropped the ball. We're gonna lose this game because no, get on the ball, fall on the ball. Hover up for your teammate. Help him out. Help him out. I remember in the old days, we used to have prayer requests. You ever remember prayer requests? Oh my goodness, some of those things. Oh my goodness. We kind of got away from that because people got real personal and oh, it just kind of got out of hand. But one of the things we would do is we would say, Does anybody have any unsaved loved ones? Remember that? Unsaved loved ones. And everybody raised their hand, yeah, well I have a son or I have a daughter or whatever. And we'd raise our hands and say, pray for my, my unsaved loved one. You know what I'm concerned about in the 21st century? Do we have any unloved saved ones? I mean, we're supposed to be the body of Christ and brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And we consider ourselves saved. Are there any that are unloved? Even though they're saved? What about those? What about when they drop the ball? Are you rejoicing? Boy, you made a terrible decision. I would would never make that kind of a decision. Or are we there to help out? Are we there to cover up, to pick up the ball so that you can run another, somebody preach with me, so that you can run another play? Because if somebody doesn't fall on the ball, we all lose. Are you hearing me today? We all lose. We either, again, I'm gonna say it again, we either all win together or we all lose together, but we better always stay together. When somebody's going through a trial, you ought to put your arm around them and say, I'm here to help. I'm gonna be praying for you this week. Is there anything that I can do for you? Let me share my testimony with you. I've been through this trial. God's gonna bring you through this trial too. Are we gonna be helpers or herders? We need to get on the ball. We need to help with fumble recoveries. Now Israel had, had many kings and we can all remember the first three, can't we? The first one was Saul. The second one was David. The third one was Solomon. Yeah. Now, who can tell me who the fourth king was? Very few of you mentioned Jeroboam. You know why? Because of the failures of the third king. See, when Saul dropped the ball and wouldn't pick it up, God called on David. But when Solomon dropped the ball, there was nobody there to pick it up. And it just laid there on the ground. You see, Solomon started out very well. He asked God for wisdom and God gave it to him. And God said to him, because you've asked for wisdom and not for wealth, I'm going to give you wisdom and wealth. And Solomon became the wisest and the richest man in the entire world. And people from all over the world would come to hear his wisdom and to observe his wealth. But his mistake was that he took wives of his visitors. And pretty soon, the scripture said, he had a thousand wives and concubines. And when they came to his house and to his nation, they brought their idols and their gods with them. And at first, those images and idols were limited to their tents, but they expanded. Pretty soon they were outside the tents. And pretty soon there were private shrines for each of their gods. And pretty soon Israel was falling into idol worship. Worship. A nation was turning away from God and worshiping false images. And do you know what Solomon said near the end of his life about his ministry? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Because even though he had great wisdom and he had great wealth, he never had anybody that could help him when he fumbled the ball. There was nobody around him that could say to him, Solomon, don't take these women into your house. You're trying to be politically correct, but you're polluting the nation. And we're drifting away from God. We need heralds. We need people that will warn us if we're heading in the wrong direction. We need people that will help us when we fumble the ball to recover. Because there's more at stake than just you. It's everybody that you influence. Let me prove this to you. Let's go to 1 Samuel 30 and 9. 1 Samuel 30 and 9. Now, he's been told to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Verse 9 David went he and his 600 men that were with him and they came to the brook Peshore where those that were left behind stayed. David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 men abode behind which were so faint that they could not cross over the brook Peshore. So 200 stayed on the other side of the brook. If you read all of the accounts about this, they were told that they would guard the stuff Anything that the 400 did not need in battle was left behind by those that guarded the stuff. So the 401 men went after the Amalekites. And verse 18 says that David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and he rescued his two wives and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, sons nor daughters, spoil, nor anything that had been taken to them David recovered all. Isn't this a great story? David recovered all. Nobody was killed. All of his flocks, all of his wealth, they were recovered. And it says in the next verse that David took all the flocks and the herds which they drove before those cattle and said, this is David's spoil. Not only did he kill the Amalekites, which Saul had failed to do, he took everything they had. I like this guy. I can relate to somebody that fumbles, but gets back up and says, I'm gonna keep trying. Can I get an amen? Because I think that's, that's the temperament of most people. We like the underdog. We like people that keep trying. We can relate to people that fail, but we're encouraged by people that won't quit. They will not quit. You gotta kill them to get them to quit. And if you don't kill them, they'll kill you. And David would not quit. And he took everything that the Amalekites had They walked off better than they were. Wow. So, you know, maybe you're going through a trial right now and you feel all deflated and and defeated and, and the devil's lying to you and beating you up every day and even people around you are not encouraging you. They are Job's comforters to you. I'm here today to tell you that God is for us and what has been taken by the enemy, we should pursue, we should overtake the enemy, we should recover all, and we should take everything we can from him back with us. Amen. Take it back with you. You thought, now I'm gonna to preach to you for a few minutes and then I'm gonna quit. You thought that you were gonna take and destroy my family You thought that you could turn people against me and that they would stone me and that you would be victorious. But you were wrong because I knew what I needed to do when I fumbled the ball. I needed to admit that I fumbled the ball. I needed to remember that I'd fumbled the ball before but that God had brought me through. I needed to hear what God wanted me to do I did it and I have recovered everything that you said that I would lose and I've taken other people along with it. See, when Satan comes to you and tries to to defeat you, men of God, head of your home, he's out to defeat you so that he can take your household and leave you ravished. And maybe you feel like he's had some victories in your life, but you're the David of your home and you need to stand up for your family, and you need to go and take back what the enemy stole. That means your family, your children, your grandchildren, and anybody else you can reach, bring them along with you. Take a spoil from this world, and bring other people into the kingdom of God. Be victorious. Be victorious, and take a spoil from your enemies. That's exactly what David did. But there's one last point I wanna make before I quit today. Not everybody's just like you. And that's a good thing. Not everybody's as committed as you are. Not everybody's as consecrated or as involved as you are. I I have to admit and and confess to you that, that there are times that I feel more like Martha than I do like Mary. Remember when Jesus came over, to, came over to the house for lunch? Mary just sat at his feet and wanted to hear everything he had to say. But Martha, she was cooking in the kitchen and cleaning and fixing everything and making sure everything was just, just absolutely right. And here she noticed her sister wasn't doing anything. And finally she couldn't take it anymore. She was so angry with her sister. And said, Jesus, look at my lazy sister. She hasn't done anything to prepare this house, to prepare this meal. She just sits at your feet and makes me do all the work. I'm gonna hit a nerve here. And listen to what Jesus said. Well, you know what? One thing is needful. And that's what she's doing right now. That's a rebuke to a person like me. Maybe a person like you. If they say that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. That's a Martha spirit. Well, you know, I have to do everything around here. Boy, is it quiet in here now. (laughs) I have to do everything around here. Can't you pick up your clothes? Can't you do that? Can't you do this? Now, I think we should be responsible. I think we should pick up after ourselves. I think we should pitch in. But we can overdo it, folks. And we can fail to acknowledge that it's God that gave us the home that we have, the food that we eat, and the clothes that we wear. So, watch what happens here. David came to the 200 men. This is 1 Samuel 30 and 21. He's on his way back now. He's he's recovered everything and he's taken a spoil. And he came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had also made to abide at the brook Peshore. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. You know why? Because they were his brothers. He saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men of Belial of those that went with David and said, "Because they didn't go with us, we won't give them out of the spoil that we recovered, saved every man, his wife, his children, let them lead them away and depart. They are a bunch of lazy cowards. And they should only get what is rightfully theirs, and nothing more. And matter of fact, we don't even want them around anymore. Let them depart. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? T.J. Lang, I'm not trying to make a hero out of a man, fell on somebody else's fumble. T.J. Lang didn't fumble that ball. That was Aaron Rodgers' fault. But T.J. Lang fell on the ball, not just for Aaron Rodgers, but for the entire team. Now, we've got 200 men that up to this point have fought in every battle, done everything that was asked of them, and when they couldn't go any further, were given an assignment. And even though that assignment was not the same as the 400, they did what they were told to do. They guarded the stuff. But these men said, we will not divide the spoil. Then David said, in verse 23... You will not do so, my brethren, with which the Lord has given us. That's the important thing. We didn't get this victory by our arms, our legs, and our strength. We, our part in this was, we dropped the ball. But the Lord has given us the victory He has preserved us. He has delivered the company that came against us into our hands. Who will hearken to you in this matter? But as his part is he that goeth to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by by the stuff. They shall part alike. Everybody's gonna get an equal share. Now here's, if I'm talking to Mary's and Martha's now for a minute, This is the final blow I want to land. If 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people, then let God divide everything equally, as far as I'm concerned. You want to know why? Because when God found me, I was a sinner. I was nothing, I was not worthy to be called one of his children. But through his mercy, through his grace, he allowed me to be a part of the family of God. Right? So if I came from nothing, doesn't the scripture say, you who are now a people who were not a people? I don't care what you get. I only wanna please God. Let God divide the spoil. He can divide it equally with everybody. I don't care if you did nothing. If he says you're gonna get this, I don't care. What's that to you? What is that to you? So here's where we're gonna stop today. Let's stand together. There are four steps, four steps to recovery and increase, four steps. Number one, here's what I want you to learn today. When you fumble the ball, confess your sin, not to each other, Confess your sin to God. You can confess your faults one to another, but don't confess your sins. Number two, encourage yourself. You know why David encouraged himself? Because 600 men wouldn't do it for him. He had to do it himself. And sometimes you're going to feel like you're all alone. But that's the time that you withdraw, you take a time out, and you remember what God has done for you. The third thing you do, you inquire of God. What should I do next? And then number four, you obey whatever God tells you to do. Jesus, We've all fumbled the ball. We've all made mistakes. Help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves and humble and admit our wrong and ask for your forgiveness. Help us to be good teammates when I see my brother fall or when I know he's going through a trial or a difficulty. Help me to run to where he is and help him Recover that which he has lost. Help me to be a good teammate. Help me willing be willing to thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church Podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at two six two nine six five five one seven seven or email us at info at abundant dot org.